at some point the penny the penny drops and people say oh could we also use this for xxx and then i need to introduce you to this person so we'll get a call with a product manager and they'll be going yeah i can see how i can use this tool to reimagine the future of my product through creating ideas for a backlog but with then they then say hey can we use this for sustainability can we use this for our change and transformation team Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, welcome back to the show. Glad you could join me again. Hope you're all having a great week out there. I'm joined with a colleague today, Charlie Widows, and Charlie has a lot of expertise and experience uh, in sort of the front-end processes of innovation. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. Yeah. How are you? Good. Yeah, really good. Thanks. Looking forward to this. Yeah. Where are you joining us from, Charlie? I've got something interesting to say. (laughs) (laughs) I'm joining you from slightly overcast Bristol, UK. It's a bit cold. Bit miserable outside, but it's all sunny inside. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, Charlie, thanks for joining us. I wanted to start with a word that uh, I think is pretty important. I want to get your view on it. When you hear the word discovery, what does that mean yeah. to you? Well, typically, discovery, I think, is the uncovering of something new and exciting. Whether that's in an organization or whether it's in a film, a voyage, of, you might go on a voyage of discovery. You might, you know, you, you might discover something new about yourself or something new about the world from, from watching a film. But the whole idea is that you, you for, for me, discovery is about a change in the status quo so that you have something more valuable, more worthwhile having gone through the process of discovery. And obviously when that refers to, to organizations, I think it's, probably on a couple of different levels. So with products, I think you're discovering a reimagining of your product, of what it might be if you kill bad ideas and promote good ideas. In organizations, it's reimagining what that what the future of that business might look like, whether that's a more a more purposeful existence, a more sustainable existence, a more profitable existence, uh, whatever it might be. Maybe we don't know where we want to get to. Maybe we're thinking <laughs> we know we're going to get somewhere better, something more valuable, something more interesting and more interesting, but we don't actually know exactly what that's going to look like. And then on that process, you go through various stages to determine whether it's still worth worth going through that discovery process. Uh, but the goal is to end up in a better place than you were before, both physically and I guess metaphorically as well. So I think it's a very important uh, part of innovation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think about in the past, we use this word ideation. And to me, discovery just resonates so more than ideation. Uh, you've been in this as, as long as I have. Which you know, when you hear that word ideation, how do you how do you position that? Yeah, I think for a long time we tried to, like you, know, I guess we shied away from ideation. Ideation is a bit like kind of imagineering. It's one of those words that kind of. It's somewhere between ideas and creation, idea creation, no ideation, let's just put them together. But it does base you very much in the simple act of coming up with an idea. What it doesn't do is it doesn't help you explore that idea and determine whether that idea is is a valuable idea or a successful idea or a de-risked idea. And so I see ideation as very kind of one-dimensional. It's a 
part of discovery. Discovery is much, much broader than merely ideation. And discovery can also be applied to other areas of innovation than just ideation as well. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk, should talk about a few of those. But if you think about discovery, what, what's blocking, you know, what are the blockers in a company uh, that prevents them from successful discovery? Sure. I think, I think there's two main blockers to that process. One is people. I think one is having a culture where you as an organization are comfortable with failure because discovery is about going to a place where you don't really know where that is. You might get it right first time. You might, you know, they might all be hundred, hundred, hundred percent all the way along the journey. And Hey, you end up delivering something really valuable in the future, but more than likely is you'll kill more ideas than, than, than succeed. And you'll fail more than you succeed in the process. So having an organization that is comfortable with, I would say you'd ha- you have to be comfortable with, inno- with the innovation process and all aspects of the innovation process in order to be able to manage discovery properly. So that's number one. And I think the other one, and probably the, the more important of the two, because is the process itself and having the tools at your disposal to manage that journey, not for you, but with you. So to take in, in, in order to affect culture change, yes, you need a certain set of thoughts and you need a certain set of strategies, but you, more importantly than all of that, you need a methodology to get there. You need people to know that they're on that journey mm-hmm. and they're improving their propensity to discover along the journey. And that comes with utilizing a set of tools implemented properly with a vision and a North Star of wanting to get to a place where you're comfortable with innovation and comfortable with discovery. So those two things, the culture and the process slash tools to get there hand in hand, allow for better discovery within organizations because part of that part and learning from them. So you look at the fast company top 50 innovation, innovative businesses, you look at the PDMA most innovative businesses and all of them have that one thing in common, which is they've, they've allowed themselves to get good at discovery which has meant letting go of some of the rigid structural elements within a business that means that you're afraid of failure, maybe. So become more failure friendly and more open to the concept of innovation and creativity. Yeah. Yeah. The culture thing is really important. I think we've all been in companies or we've experienced or talked to somebody else who's been in a company where somebody had an idea and an executive just, just, or somebody else just shot it mm-hmm. down immediately. Gone. Boom, yeah. gone, out. Didn't even get vetted. And everybody else in the room might have thought, oh, that was a pretty good idea. We should have talked about that, but it, it's done and over, right? And so that's definitely not the culture you want, right? You want a culture where even if somebody's unsure, right, they're a little timid, they want to be safe and they want to have their peers draw it out and make it better, right? Yeah. There's a quote. Albert Einstein quote, uh, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Yeah. Marshall Goldsmith, what got you here won't get you there. That concept of right. we, we can't possibly reimagine the future of our business by simply doing the same things that we've done that's got us this far because we're in the wrong mindset. We're in the wrong place. We've got the wrong people. And, and we see that a lot now where we, we, we see customers, you know, where, where our process has failed in customers isn't often because of the quality of the platform and the, the stuff that we're recording. But it comes down to how comfortable are people sharing their challenges? 
you know, how, how likely is it that sometimes a middle manager will share a challenge that maybe right. he thinks the business, <laughs> he or she thinks the business should be able to solve the business thinks they should be able to solve that problem. Why, why can't you solve yes. that? You're a, you know, you're an executive exactly. in this, you know, and then you've got people going, well, I know the answer to that, but I can't possibly share that because I'm a mere, you know, post room boy or, you know, receptionist or whatever, but I think I can do that. And so you get this kind of very human kind of element of, Hmm, I think I can do that, but I'm not going to put my head above the parapet just in case. Whereas with, with that kind of mentality of, you know, what got us here won't get us there. We can't solve our problems with the same thinking that we used to create them. It's that kind of moment where you say that will happen as a natural process within within the journey that we're now going on. But it's a big step because you've got a lot of people within and without your organization that are relying on you not to fail and to and to and to provide continually provide value. And it obviously depends on what kind of business you are. You know, the failure for a water company is greater than failure for a widget manufacturer, you know. So there's nuances and things within it that I think make it quite a difficult thing to do. I would think the process helps with that as well. Uh, knowing that the process will take an idea and, and ensure that idea goes somewhere or, or gets its due consideration. Yeah. I mean, everyone's got the suggestion box, you know, stick your ideas yeah. in here, the place where ideas yeah. go to die. Yeah, that's right. We hear a lot about companies that, oh, well, we, you know, we do collect ideas. Yeah, that, that's fine. Great. You collect ideas. What, what, what happens to that is, oh, well, some of them get delivered or, oh, some of them, some of them get developed. Do the people who are giving you those ideas know where they go? No. Well, you know, we kind of, yeah, if they ask, then yeah, well, and it's, it's a major, major uh, failing of the ideation process or the discovery process, I should say if you're not constantly keeping the people that pump the fuel into the engine, keeping them knowledgeable about where, where those ideas go and what phase they're at, what stage they're at, do they want to be involved? You know, not everyone wants to be involved in the development of their idea. Not many people can be involved because it takes a very particular set of skills to be creative enough to come up with the ideas and a very different set of skills to, to deliver those ideas. But if you don't know where they're going, why would you bother giving them any more ideas? And more importantly, you see an idea delivered, you know it was your idea. Oh, how annoyed are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good point. Very good point. Now, let's talk the, the titles for a minute. I mean, who who's responsible? What would you call the people that are responsible for managing this this front end of discovery process? You know, we hear terms like innovation managers, product managers, idea managers, maybe it's discovery managers. Uh, let's talk about how you label these people and maybe it's one or maybe it's a group of people who shepherd this, what we're talking about, shepherd this, let's get this idea in, let's evolve this idea, let's develop, let's own that process that uh, we should talk more about. But the, we touched on the at least the process of notification of somebody submitting an idea. But uh, how do you call those people? What are those people named? Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's this kind of movement now between talking to personas in a business, you know, you're, I'm an, I'm a project manager or I'm a product manager. I'm an innovation manager. I'm a, you know, a commercial manager and that, and really what are the jobs to be done within the organization? So my job is to develop my product by managing a backlog of ideas. My job is to reimagine the future of this business by understanding 
what ideas will lead to that. My, my job is to make our business more sustainable by managing the ideas that the business might have in order to, to make that happen. And so, and, and it's, it's difficult because, you know, the world is set up to target personas. It's there to target titles, job titles in sectors. Whereas really it's, it becomes almost, it's a bit like, you know, it's a bit like when you're at school and, you know, I'm doing English, history, French, maths, and geography. But actually what I'm learning at school is how to be a better citizen, how to get on with people that, you know, you might not normally get on with, how to, how to be confident, how to be, uh, you know, less sensitive, how to be more resilient. So those kind of almost like in the same way that you might have sort of functional skills that go across what you're learning in school whilst doing subjects. When you get into business, you might be in a, in a role or in a department, but through the middle of that run these jobs to be done, run these pains and problems and, and, and gains that you might get from being good at what we might, what you might want to call the soft skills or the functional skills of creative problem solving of framing ideas in, in a, in an, or challenges in an engaging way. And those skills kind of go through, go through the business, through the verticals and the silos of the departments and the, and the, and the job titles. So it's a really interesting question because everybody's responsible for, for innovation or ideas. Everyone is, Everyone has that need to discover as part of their part of their job in order to be better at what they do. They can, you're, on, you're on a voyage of continually discovering and learning, you know, whilst you're doing your job. And so I think we're starting to see more people put their hand up and say, I've got a problem with managing the right, the, managing the right ideas in my business. I'm, a, I'm, in the, I'm in the HR team though. And our job is to, you know, get better people. So, it, it, it becomes this kind of much more linear thing. And, and our job is to find within each of those jobs, the, the, the ones that have those universal challenges of managing. We've, got an, we've not got enough ideas. We've got too many ideas. We don't know what, which ones to focus on. We don't know how to tie our ideas to our corporate goals. All of those sorts of things, which, which, can, which can really take up the time of R&D managers, MPD managers, product managers, innovation managers. It's a kind of a universal thing. And I think that's really good because rather than just focus on the pains of a product manager and the gains of a innovation manager, you're actually building a product that solves a problem for a larger audience, a larger group of people in the business. And what we find when we're, when we're presenting to product managers and innovation managers on calls with, with acclaim ideas is at some point the penny, the penny drops and people say, oh, could we also use this for XXX? And then I need to introduce you to this person. So we'll get a call with a product manager and they'll be going, yeah, I can see how I can use this tool to reimagine the future of my product through creating ideas for a backlog. But we then, they then say, hey, can we use this for sustainability? Because I can make, make a more sustainable product through this process, but I can, we can also make a more sustainable business. Can we use this for our, in our change and transformation team? to get the business digitally transformed and come up with the ideas we need to do that. And, th and that's the moment I think where suddenly you get into kind of a technicolor story, which is it goes from being from solving a problem for a distinct person in an organization, a distinct job title in a distinct department to being useful across many other areas of the business as well. Yeah. Fantastic. 
Great positioning there. Thanks for that. Discovery is much more than, all right, I got the idea. We all thought it's a great idea. You know, thumbs up. 20 people gave it a thumbs up. We've seen the scoring systems, the, the rating systems, all of that. But that's, there's more, isn't there? What do you do after you have that idea? Yeah. Well, I'll go the other way and I'll say that there's a stage before you have the idea as well, which is arguably more important than the idea itself. Because ideas are, you know, ideas are ten a penny. You know, anyone can have loads of ideas. But if you don't know what the problem is that you're trying to solve, then it doesn't matter what ideas you have because they don't align. They won't align to the to your problems. And I think, you know, if there's one piece of advice for organizations that are trying to start this kind of discovery process is be focused on framing the problem you're trying to solve in a way that will encourage the best ideas without you even having to try. We we very much kind of get those kind of companies that go, and this is something that we've built into the tool through the some of the AI um, functionality that's now in now in the tool. If we're working for particular organizations that by their nature aren't great at creatively writing something to, to get maximum engagement, how useful would it be if you were able to put in the bare bones of your problem and have the tool create create a more engaging way of framing that idea, that problem, in order then to generate some really interesting ideas. So we look at probably four, four or five phases of good problem framing first, because then, you know, you put great sausage meat in and then you'll get great sausages out at the end. And that's, and the sausage meat is the quality of the problem that you're trying to solve. So we talk about, first of all, being concise, something that I'm not very good at, you might have noticed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, we talk about the 40, 20, 10, 5 rule of, you know, frame your problem in 40 words, then do it in 20, then do it in 10, and then eventually five word problem statement. That's your kind of title of your problem. Then do your research. So research what your customer wants, what's feasible for you as, you as a company to do, how urgent is it that you solve this particular problem, and ultimately what's the price for getting it right before moving on to the focus part of it, you know, focus on the fact that you're sure, are you sure you're solving the right problem and how do we know this is the problem that's worth solving? Yeah. So reframing mm-hmm. it in, a, in different ways allows you to come at it from different angles. Ultimately, then go back to your problem statement and you can reframe it based on that. Fourthly, challenge assumptions. So make sure it's not just my view as the problem setter. Where's the unconscious bias in what I'm suggesting? Am I, am I framing this challenge in order to get the most response from the best people? So you open up, effectively, you open up the challenge for more of the, you know, the outliers maybe to solve. You know, innovation yeah. happens at the edge of an organization often, and those people aren't very often very well spoken to and defined and found by framing your challenge in a certain way you can reach those people and pull in that kind of different worldview and then probably lastly and more obviously use positive language make people realize the positive value the solution might bring that i remember seeing a t-shirt and it was somebody had a t-shirt that said houston we have an opportunity <laughs> which was kind of like yeah, you know put, putting a really positive spin on the challenge that you know Apollo 13 faced but and that's, that's probably a bit extreme but by framing a challenge in a way that it's a problem yeah. but an opportunity to reimagine the future of something be it a product a service a business or whatever you then obviously get that safe space 
to come up with really brilliant ideas. Yeah. So that problem statement, you know, first of all, get the problem statement right. And, you know, there's another great, uh, you know, the Abraham Lincoln quote, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend the first six sharpening the ax. You know, that idea of, you know, if you yeah. want to, if you want to do less, spend less time de-risking the ideas that are going to come out, spend more time framing the problem, get the problem right. And then the ideas will flow, but the ideas will mm. be focused and they'll be relevant. So then, and then you go into your ideation and then you're simply at the ideation phase. You are simply quickly deciding which ones could work, and which ones couldn't, because you're still going to end up failing most of them. You're going to kill most of those ideas anyway. So don't spend long. It's often a gut feel, you know, is this a viable idea? Is this feasible? Is this desirable from a mm -hmm. business perspective or a customer perspective? And then that allows you then to say, right, yes, yes, no, yes, no, yes, yes. Take the yeses into the test and learn environment, learn from them, gather insights, do the work of the test, of the experimentation and the testing to really, really determine whether that idea is, is worth the sometimes not insignificant cost of resource and time and, you know, and money to deliver it as a, as a new innovation. Right, right. But you must go through that process because the more you can de-risk it, at that kind of test phase, the better, the, the more yeah. likely you are to end up with the fewer ideas that are worth, are, are worth delivering. And that can be cyclical. That can be a stage gate. That should be a stage gate process. You should be going through a process of saying, is it still worth investing in this? idea? Is it mm -hmm. still worth investing in going through that process? So I would say that for me is the discovery process is the problem framing, the ideation, and then the testing and the learning, the insights, the lessons that you gather yeah. from that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, just loop back because you kind of went through it quick. I'd like to just explore a little bit more on the role of, of AI that you kind of see yes. today and, and maybe in the future. Wow, it's dangerous, isn't it? You know, it AI is going to take over the world and well. you know, we're all going to be out of jobs. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't think. I, I'd like to think that it, it will free us up to, to work on the things that make us human. You Correct. Know, the creativity human intelligence will become suddenly more rightfully more kind of more important than can someone sit there and just do something. That's right. Do a That's job, right. you know, for us. Yeah. And in the innovation space, in the ideation space, I think there's a place for AI in a number of different settings. One of which ob most obviously is helping people to, you know, as I say, frame the problem in the most engaging way. So can we overlay AI over the, those initial thoughts as to what what a challenge should be for a company and bring it to life for the audience and use that, you know, not use it to write it for you, but to get you out of the kind of blank canvas, you know, blank paper syndrome, you know, I don't know where to start. Okay, here's, here's, a, here's a problem statement that has been generated for us. And now I can tweak and edit that rather than have to start from scratch myself. Right. So I think obviously that's an important place. I think the next important place is, uh, running tests and experiments effectively. So how do we frame a hypothesis? How do we run? Yeah. Which kind of experiments should we be running in order to prove or disprove this hypothesis? And then I think there's a, probably a platform level application of AI, which is how does the platform learn what types of ideas particularly succeed for that mm. type of business? Okay. And, also making sure we don't double up on work so 
we've tried that before. You know, yeah. we did this, we did this test last year and it didn't work because this, this, and this, but this, this, and this, and this has changed since then, which gives it an X percent more likely chance of succeeding now and be able to serve that information up to innovation people, product people at the start of that challenge and creation, I think is a really useful way of framing AI within a, within a tool like ours, which is how can we keep helping customers innovate better, yeah. ideate yeah. better, yeah. develop better uh, products, better, not develop better products, but develop products better. Yeah. You know, so a yeah, that, things I think came to mind. You know, there's, there's a number of applications. Yeah. When you were talking about it, I think you, you got it right. You kept saying, how can AI help us to frame? us to write mm. help us it's a tool really at the end of the day it's a tool yeah absolutely i could hire a college grad student and, and say hey help me do this right and they could go do it, it it's a tool but you still need yeah. the you need to be able to frame what you're looking for and you need to be able to morph the tool and modify and give it direction give it instructions when it comes to the kind of ai we're seeing at the moment all the rage of the chat uh, gpts in all the world yeah. and then you said something i thought was really fun we have a colleague of ours uh, steve rogers was on a, a podcast but he didn't attribute this to him he said another one of my colleagues talks about not lessons learned but lessons identified because nobody ever learns from them, right? That's the yeah. challenge, yes. especially when you have <laughs> two, three, four years of, of everybody. Oh, let's have a retrospective. Let's write it down. You know, but consuming mm -hmm. that. So I, I think there's a neat angle there you, you spoke about, about AI to help us actually, actually learn something from what we're capturing. That was pretty. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, isn't it? You, you even look at, Look at our look at our teams. I mean, we we were guilty of this. Our, maybe maybe we weren't in total. Maybe it was just me. But I used to I used to always turn up to the sprint review. But I always used to miss the sprint retrospective. Ah. So the review was always, what have we done? And the retrospective yeah. was, what have we learned? Yeah. And partly you don't want to admit that you did something and then didn't didn't learn from your mistakes or you didn't get what you wanted out of right, it. I suppose. Right. Yeah. So there's there's this kind of idea of you know failure is you know it's okay to fail as long as you learn from correct learn from that right, failure right. but how many companies don't how many companies don't learn right and how easy is it for a platform like us to take the information that's being put into it and then yeah. feed that back to the customer as learnings yeah. yeah and not only that but if we're doing that on a multiple 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 uh, instances of our platform across multiple different industries might it be that we could take the anonymized data that's going into that tool and look at trends of learnings and across different different industries and different yeah. um, different sectors. So you could typically say, well, typically oil and gas companies have these challenges. They have these solutions to those challenges, and these are the lessons that come out of yeah doing the work working yeah. on those those sorts of challenges doing that work yeah, yeah. and so yeah. you can then take those le learnings and go okay well how, how can we apply that to our own our own business mm. oh well, charlie we covered a lot of ground uh did we miss anything and <laughs> say oh, paul we should have talked about x <laughs> <laughs> well there's, there's a couple of things that we're starting to see more in this space in in, in the discovery space becoming more relevant to companies. First one I think is there's becoming more of an emphasis on innovation maturity as organizations. How how mature are we in the discovery space? 
Um, it comes back to what we were saying at the beginning, you know, how innovation ready are we from a cultural perspective? Is this the right time to be doing this work or do we need to go through a culture change first? You know, there's that kind of, there's a great cartoon, which is, you know, the CEO stood, in, stood up in front of his employees and he's saying, who wants to change? And everyone goes, hooray. And then he said, who's ready to change? And then only like a few of the hands go up. And then he said, who wants to lead the change? And like, everyone's gone, you know, and it, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> no hands. yeah, no hands go up at all because everyone, every organization knows they, they need to be lean, be agile and, and, and change and, and, and understand their weaknesses specifically around their propensity for, for innovation to be innovative. But very few of them are actually able to implement that, that maturity. And so having some sort of innovation maturity index or having some sort of way of surveying how mature you are as an organization and what you need to do to become more mature to get you ready, innovation ready, I think is becoming, people just seem to be recognizing it more. And I think the second thing is sustainability. The yeah. Sustainability as a, as a concept, I guess, to drive purpose before profit, uh, because profit will follow. The tables are starting to turn on that. I think that's probably post-pandemic people have really realized how important it is to develop sustainable businesses, sustainable products, and be more sustainable in the way that they operate as well. So I think both of those things play nicely into the discovery space and ultimately help companies work out what their priorities are. You mentioned that, you know, you, you talked about change, you talked about maturity. I have to say in conclusion, Charlie, that I'm glad you're here uh, helping companies. <laughs> you're in the position, you're in the place to help companies change and mature their, their uh, discovery process because it's, it's something that we all want to get better at. So thanks for joining us today and sharing your, uh, your perspective on that. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. There's much more we can say, and uh, I'll try to coax Charlie back to talk about some more aspects of it because there, there is uh, some interesting things to follow up on. Thanks for joining. Hope you have a great week ahead. Take care, everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.